Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Through the Lens, the All Things Movies podcast brought to you by WEGL 91.1. I'm Alex Houston alongside Davis Carroll, and I thank you for listening to us on a Friday the 13th. Happy Friday the 13th, Davis. Is it really happy? Is it happy? I mean, I don't know. It's a, that's the thing people say when they celebrate and stuff, so I figured that was, you know, something. I don't know. You know, it's just... Spooky Friday the 13th. Scary Friday the 13th. Yeah, um... Yeah, I would uh, agree with that one, I suppose. But um, anyway, as as I said, this is All Things Movies Podcast. If you've been listening for a long time, you know the format. You know the way uh, we do things. So we're going to start things off with our world of pop culture. And Davis, a lot of things going on this past week. Uh, obviously, we missed last week's episode, so we got two weeks worth of stuff going on. So why don't we start with some of the uh, more breaking stuff before stuff we can debate about. So... Earlier this week, Scooby-Doo co-creator Ken Spears passed away at 82 years old. Other co-creator Joe Ruby passed away a few months prior in August. So uh, just a quick rest in peace to two legends creating one of the greatest, I think, franchises. Is that the word? I mean, it's it's almost Cartoon surpassed that. You can just say that. I mean, yeah, yeah, but it's like it's become so much more. It feels like it's a franchise now. Yeah, I guess you could say that. It's this like, like, like a video Garfield game and franchise. other things like that. It feel it feels like a franchise in that in that sense. And I don't know. That's just how I would, I guess, view it. But again, uh, just uh, created some incredible, incredible cartoons and led to two ridiculous movies that Davis and I uh, discussed a few episodes ago. You can go check that one out as well. And other things going on. Oh boy, we got a good one. Pedro Pascal, Priyanka Chopra. Jones and Christian Slater, all starring in a Robert Rodriguez-directed film set in the Shark Boy and Lava Girl universe. Davis, what are your thoughts? I mean, I'm interested to see it. I heard it actually looks kind of cool. Shark Boy and Lava Girl, as a kid, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Not gonna lie. And Looking back adult, on it, not as much, obviously. I mean, that movie is one of the strangest things I think I've well, ever seen. Well, he made seen. it for his kids. I mean, yeah, but so. Like, he, his kids wanted to have, like, a movie based on their dreams and stuff, and he made it for them. I mean, if your kid if your kid draws a bunch of scribbles on a piece of paper and, and makes that for you, doesn't make it the Mona Lisa. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's the Mona Lisa, <laughs> but I think it's an interesting story. I mean, that 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 is that is admittedly cool, but there's, like, it's so bad. <laughs> like as entertaining the, as a what kid. About, what about when, sh- when, uh, when he start when Sharkboy has the solo, when he starts yeah. dream, 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 dream. dream, 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 dream. dream. Like no, that's not. close your eyes, shut your mouth, dream a dream, you little. I remember that. I saw that movie way too many times. So did I. But I remember when the when he was trying to eat I've the cookies evolved. at night, and like you could see Shark Boy's teeth, and I was like, "Whoa, it's so cool!" And then Shark Boy was in the shower, like swimming around. I've evolved cool. as an individual, so I'm not saying I watch it, but like that was an entertaining movie as a kid. Do you disagree? It was. It had its moments. I'll, I'll give you that. Like same with Sp- Robert Rodriguez also made Spy Kids, which is better, unequivocally true, better. True. Is I that mean, set in the same universe? No. Okay. I mean, you get when you got Steve Buscemi asking if God hates his own creations as well. Do you think God stays in heaven because he too is scared of what he's created? <laughs> what a quote. I can't. <laughs> I get mean, I mean, truly, the scriptwriter deserves an award for that one, honestly. But I wonder if Steve Buscemi like uh uh um, likes that movie. No, 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 no. Well, I just totally forgot the word. Axe? No. What? He just, when you come up with a line on the spot. Improv. Im- improv. I guess it was improv. Improvisation? Was, it had to be improv. There's not another word. I'll think of it later. It oh might have been improv. Um, but yeah, that's happening, so look look out for that one in the trailers on YouTube. Probably at the highest dislike ratio. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I, I'm curious to see what it'll be like, because, you know, what... What what about it will identify that it's in that universe? George right? Lopez. No, because they can't get Shark Boy. They can't get Lava Girl. Why can't they get? Uh, I don't know because they're old now. My so? shoes untied. I was wondering what that was. Both my shoes are untied, Davis. Alex, that's <laughs> you're you're not you're not Miles Morales from Spider Verse. Tie your shoes, man. I don't wanna. I don't wanna. You know he um, he tripped when he's about to jump off the building. Remember? I remember. I was like, "What's up, danger?" Well, not, and he falls. I'm not jumping off any buildings anytime soon. Uh, so. I'd hope not, Alex. I'd I, hope not. I, I I do not have the ability to do so. Anyway, <laughs> on to some other things going on. Well, might as well get into it. Jared Leto's Joker will be looking different, road weary, and 
the Justice League Snyder Cut. What's this, Mad Max Road Warrior? Is he? No, like, like, like he's been warned by. He's I, a changed individual. I understand what it is. They just filmed like, five minutes of new footage for the movie. So what? What has he been Joe doing? Joe will get another opportunity. Tired. I don't know. We'll see. I thought the Joker doesn't get tired. That's like his whole thing. Well, we will see. Whatever. But, I mean, this is Jared Leto's, I think, last opportunity to try and, you know... Because, again, that's what this movie really is to me, is it's Snyder's last opportunity to rally support for his um, film. He also showed this past week um, a picture of the concept art for the Martian uh, Manhunter, who was supposed to make an appearance in the original Justice League before Josh Whedon was like, I don't know about that one. But he will be in the Snyder Cuts. That's exciting for uh, anybody who grew up watching the original Justice League cartoon in the early 2000s. Martian Manhunter played a key role in that series in the beginning and yeah i mean the snyder cut it's piecing together the trailer is rumored to be this tuesday new trailer davis what are you excited at least for the trailer to get another uh look inside this I'm not film big into trailers personally really i like to go into I, things usually like fish like i'll watch if it comes on tv but i usually don't like look up trailers you're a better man than me because when the justice league movie released their um their first trailer during Comic-Con before the year came out with uh, Come Together as the song, I watched that about 20 times that day. And I got me so hyped See, for one of the worst the movies. that's the issue there. Yes, I know, I know. The trailers usually look good. I know, I and They know. also nowadays spoil plot points, which I don't like. What about the, I mean, the thing is, the, the thing is it will do that, but when it's a great trailer, it's like a Yeah, really when it's a great trailer, if it's like so good that I have to watch it, I'll watch it. But if it's like, uh, like, I guess the Justice League trailer, or like even the Justice League trailer, the Dune oh. trailer. I haven't even watched that. Dune? Oh, Dune. Dune. Like I know it's. I know about Dune. I know Oscar Isaac's gonna be. I know Timothy Chalamet. I know they're in the desert and stuff, or like space desert. I don't really feel the need to watch it personally. That's fair. That's fair. It gives me um, more like going to more blind. I never watched the uncut Jim's trailer before I saw it. I, I just saw it always on TV. So there was no. There's there no other option that on that one. No other option on that one at all. But I mean, st- are, are you still excited for the movie? Have you heard yes. any more stuff about it lately? Because like I've heard things like um, Snyder's original plan was for in for Catwoman to be introduced and have that Batman and Catwoman had gotten married in like. No, nah, he's doing years. too much. That's too much. He's but then they would have reconciled in the third Justice League movie. I mean, but that's that's what Justice I League heard, is. I heard that he's getting Deathstroke back in it. That I'm, I'm happy Joe, about. It's like Joe Man. Uh, Joe Manganiello, yes, who plays in Flash Spider-Man. Thompson in Sp- of course. And I always remember the face he makes when Tobey Maguire blocks. He's like, <laughs> Google the Google the photo of it for me. I don't know. If, are you, do you, you remember one scene? I'm yes. Okay, because I just want to make sure I I'm remembering it correctly as well because it's just. Like the sound he makes is just so funny because <laughs> it's like so over the top and ridiculous. Did you find? Did you find a photo? Uh, I mean, not of that because it's facing the other way. I have to look. I'd have to watch the video. Ah, watch the watch the video and then pause it on the moment if you can. But yeah, um, I don't know if that's doing too much though with the Catwoman thing. I now. think it is. Well, it, because no, he's trying to make it like a whole series into one movie, and that's his issue. No, but that wasn't one movie. It was it was going to be a whole three movie arc with oh, individual things okay, split up. Okay, okay. It wasn't going to be they you learn they're married, you learn they reconcile in one movie. It would have been a whole thing. The thing is, and that's what the Justice League was, and I think that's what Marvel has failed to do, in my opinion. Joe Manganiello's holding his hands up too high for this fight. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but in my opinion, I think the beauty of a comic book, if you read them, is you know in the fact that I think, and you may agree with me on this one. Um, I think that. There's so much going on, right? Every character is there. And I think in Marvel, you know, you get a lot of disconnected feelings, right? Like, you know Guardians of the Galaxy and the Avengers in the same universe, but you saw them interact one time, mm-hmm. right? And, like, you know Ant-Man and Iron Man are in the same universe in the same in the same country, but you don't, you rarely see them. <laughs> that, that's, exactly, that's exactly it. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. Thank you. I knew I, knew I was thinking of it. Um but yeah, I think I think that's something that Marvel has failed to do, and I think DC and Zack Snyder was trying to take that step with having Martian Manhunter being, because you know Martian Manhunter is in BVS. Batman He's also in Man Man of Steel. Exactly, exactly. He he is. He, they laid the groundwork for that, which I think that's brilliant, in my opinion. I think I think having the general who deals with Superman the most also or be an alien. Did they just afterwards? They're like, yeah, it's Martian Manhunter. Well, no, because so um. The reason, the reason that I think it was that guy initially, so Davis, you will not recall this, but 
I recall because I've watched the video many times, and I recommend anybody else who likes comic movies to watch this video that I'm about to talk about. So, after Man of Steel, that was, you know, people thought it was going to be standalone like Christopher Reeve's Superman, right? You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, just Superman movie. And then they go to Comic-Con, and DC has a panel, and Zack Snyder's talking about this, uh, you know, he's talking about movies he's going to be doing in the future, and he's just talking about Man of Steel and talking about Superman and how much fun it was. And then he brings the guy who plays Harry that Lennox. general out. Yes, he brings him out to read the iconic line from Batman in the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel where uh, he basically just says, I want you to know that I'm the one man who beat you, and it's this great speech, and he has Harry Lennox read it. Not because Harry Lennox has a great voice, but why would he just pick that guy, right? He clearly had... You know, okay. him in some sort of... Because also, Harry Lennox is not a guy who's been in, like, every Zack Snyder movie. He's not like Michael Caine with Christopher Nolan, right? He's just showed up in, in the Man blacklist. What? He's in the blacklist. Oh, okay. Well, that, and that, The Matrix Reloaded. Really? I did not know that. But that, to me, is where I'm like, okay, maybe there's a reason for it. And mm -hmm. that, that makes me think that there must have been a plan, because why have him come out and do it, you know? Like, if you can get anybody, why not ask James Earl Jones to do it? Like, if... Because, I mean, he's got the best voice in all of Hollywood, and we all know that. So, But he gets Harry Lennox to do it, and then you know he takes a bigger role in Batman vs. Superman. In the main fight, he is there, uh, like, commenting on what's happening. Because, you know, the military is, like, trying to be like, all right, uh, what do we do? So I think that that is very much a plan from the beginning. But speaking of Batman vs. Superman, Davis, I saw on Twitter today Iron Man 2 was trending. And not for the reason you think. People are having a debate on whether or not Iron Man 2 is better than Batman vs. Superman. What are your thoughts? Batman vs. Superman is better. I'll say it. And I, I mean, Iron Man 2 is okay, but I don't remember anything from it because it was kind of boring. Have You seen? You haven't seen the ultimate edition of Batman vs. Superman, have you? No. Uh, well, I, I own it. Maybe I have. I don't know. Sometime. Maybe I have. We, we should watch it. But, like I saw it in theaters. I was laughing a lot because there were so many dream sequences. The original the, Batman vs. Oh, Superman. Oh, yeah. Well, but you still like it better than Iron Man 2? Uh, I, mean, I mean, Iron Man 2 has Sam Rockwell, so... It does have a little bit... Yeah, but it also has Mickey Rourke Russian accents. So. It also is just kind of boring. It, it is. And it, disconnected. It doesn't really feel like it knows what it wants to do. Yeah, I like. I think that there is something going on with the film community where it's very fun to just hate on movies. And Batman vs. Superman has been that movie where people are like, hey, this movie's bad, but it's not as bad as this ha-ha, worst movie ever, Zack Snyder's stupid. Like, that's that was very much... A thing, and that's very much the thing that's been going on. I mean, you have obviously everybody who said the Snyder Cut is not real, only for it to end up being real, apparently. But <clears throat> I think, yeah, I mean, Iron Man 2, I just, it really is not that good of a movie to me at all. It has cool moments, like the scene in War Machine and Iron Man fight all the robot ones in like the circle. That's a cool, that's yeah. a cool scene. But that is one scene in a relatively ridiculous movie. Not to mention, so what what it was trying to do is so in the comic books Iron Man is like a huge alcoholic like it's a very big storyline for his character and it's a great great storyline because it's very in-depth it has a lot of big moments very serious and in Iron Man 2 they try and somewhat capture that but then it's just like you don't really get that you just get a sense that he's just a dumb party boy obviously you know he realized that he's dying and he's just doing whatever but like it it's it's like almost too comedic for me when it really could have been a bit more serious. Would you agree with that? Yes. You think it could have been a bit? I, I just feel I mean like, Sam Rockwell is literally his whole character is just a com comedic character. That's true. I, I just feel like he's there pretty, were opportunities. He's pretty good though. He's funny in it. He's good in everything he's in. That's that's established. Everything. Let's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Everything. Jojo Rabbit. Great. He got he got nominated Moon, for great. an Oscar for being George Bush in like five minutes of the movie Vice. Actually, so Sam Rockwell is the most underrated actor ever. Okay. Okay. That's that's a debate for another time, but. I saw people that that were claiming, is Iron Man the wor Iron Man two the worst MCU movie? I still think Thor: The Dark World is, but yeah, Thor: The Dark World is not that good. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that one. And finally, our last piece of pop culture news going on in the pop culture world before we get on to the great Sean Connery is George Lucas. His rumored plan for the sequel trilogy has come out. This is another plan. There's been a bunch of rumored plans. And I'm just going to read off some of the things that me, this mean you can talk about it and we'll just uh, see what we think. So, other sequel trilogy plans. Darth Maul and his apprentice Talon were the villains. Luke reunites 500 to 100, Order 66 survivors, and rebuilt the Jedi Order. Leia becomes Supreme Chancellor and the Chosen One. I mean, this is bare-bones stuff and it's difficult to evaluate three movies on that, but... 
What are your thoughts hearing that, reading that? Sounds interesting, but you know, George Lucas actually had like a sequel planned way back in like the '90s and had people write books based off of him. Pretty sure. I think I think I've heard something about that as well. It's, it was he was like he had a plan he was going to introduce the the Emperor coming back in like the first movie, mm. and then like way better than Disney did. But you know, I think that sounds interesting. I'm not sure how good Darth Maul would have been as the villain because I mean like. The Emperor, you already know so much about him. Darth Maul, you know that he got cut in half. Unless you True, read, but, like... But do you, are you aware of Darth Maul's return in the Clone Wars? Yes, yes, been yes, very, yes, yes. I'm aware prominent. of all that. But if you don't watch the Clone Wars, as I feel like a lot of Star... Like, like normie, in quote-unquote... Oh, I, no, I mean, the casual fan is what you mean. The yeah, casual I mean, like, viewer. the ones that just yeah. watch the movies, they're not going to go to the, watch the, the casual Clone Wars. They're not going to yeah. play all the games. They're not going to read all the books. I like, agree. They, they're not going to know that Darth Maul is actually alive. They're going to be like, wait, how's that... Wait, why does he have robot legs now? I don't know all this whole story. I guess that's kind of an air mystery to him. It'd be kind of cool. But, like, Darth Maul's interesting, but also not that interesting. I would agree. It'd be, and especially because, like, again, you say the casual viewer, Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace was a pretty basic and porous he villain. He looked cool. He looked cool. He had a cool fight, but he didn't say anything, and he really just kind of sat there. So that's fair. That is, that is completely fair on, on your point. I also think, again, we've seen the whole... Uh, Reaction if Anakin's not well if Anakin's not the choice chosen one uh, fans are not happy about that one already and now if Leia had been the chosen one that would have course corrected that one and also I think Luke reuniting the one, five the fifty to one hundred order six six survivors doesn't really make any sense to me because like I get it you know Empire scary but like you know after A New Hope you really would have figured they would have showed up and been like all right y'all we're ready but I mean now, when some of them were like wasn't uh. Ahsoka Tano, what was her name? Ashoka? Ahsoka Tano, yeah. Oh, I was right. Whoo, I was right. Go, I haven't go. seen the Glow Wars in years. But what, what but like, it? she was out on the outer rim. She didn't even know about New Hope. She was alive during New Hope. She didn't even know about it. I, I mean, like yeah, but... but no, but... Because the, they were in hiding. Uh, not, okay, that is one where I'm like, yes, but the fact that there's 50 to 100 and none of them is where I'm like, okay. Like, you know, it's like if you do a random poll of 100 people, you're going to get you're gonna get one of those, you know, individual answers that's unique like Ahsoka, but if you get everybody to agree, no, no, not, not, I mean, you're going to get people who are going to be like Ahsoka, but you're not going to get a hundred people who are like, yes, we all thought the same thing. Cause like, I mean, I just, there's no way to me that that, but then again, I, I don't know. It, it's weird. It's odd to me because there's a lot of things that go on in the in the originals that get unquestioned, like Yoda just going off to some distant planet to leave everything behind because he believes it's his fault. But then it's like also, but they kind of need you to you know save the day. But I don't know. I I'm not sure if it would have been better than what we got in the sequel trilogy, but that's a whole other set of podcasts for another day. Wouldn't you agree? So I have right here like George Lucas's original plans. It was that he was gonna make it. About the father, the children, the grandchildren. So, like, the original prequels, the father, uh, the middles, the children, obviously, and the sequel would have been the grandchildren. So that would have been Anakin's grandchildren being Luke and Leia's kid, separate kids, being, like, hmm. kind of the... Their names would have been Kieran, Sam, Skywalker. And and along the way, they became Ray and Finn, who are not, obviously not the grandchildren of Anakin. Yeah, that that much we know. And he said that Kira... Would have been a Jedi. She would have been a loner, hothead, gearheaded. Uh, and then Sam, the blaster, kind of like, and he didn't have force power, so Han's son. Hmm. And uh, he would have, he would have had Luke being a dark place. So J.J. Abrams, I guess Ryan Johnson took that. I always thought that the people being angry about the Luke being the dark place thing was I a bit ridiculous. Was I thought it was cool. I agree. I, agree. I like the Last Jedi. You're in a, you're in a minority on that. I one. know. I think it's not as terrible as people say. I, thought, I agree. It has I thought the subversions it made were actually decent. Ha- but it also has some moments where I'm still like, eh, yeah, well, it again, sure does. As I said, that's and the, whole... the hate on what was her name, Rose. Yeah, unjustified. Who cares? Like, why you hate on her so much? I, I would say it's okay to just like a character, and it's okay to just like her character. But everything that happened after the yes. fact is downright I like, absurd. Well, I mean, like, yeah, you can dislike a character, like, like. No, but well, I probably have some random character I don't really like. How so I, I even feel how, like she wasn't that bad of a character. And how certain people reacted still was completely absurd. I mean, the the levels that people went into harassing that yeah. actress for her character was absurd, and that much has been clear. We, I mean, there's you don't need us to tell you that, ladies and gentlemen. You all know that. I mean, that 
like no matter what, no matter what you think of the character, the way that some of the actors and people involved in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, and that's the thing is, you know, people say, oh, George, come back and save the day, bring us back to the glory day of the prequels. The people that hated the prequels are the ones that sent George Lucas to sell them. Let's be clear on something, ladies and gentlemen. George Lucas sold Star Wars in part because of the fact that, A, it made him a lot of money, and B, he was quite frankly exhausted. And, you know, he goes and he makes the prequels and he is eviscerated by everyone for, you know, ruining his childhood. Because these are people that were, you know, 10 years old with the New Hope being 35 years old saying that George Lucas ruined their childhood with the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. There's a there's like a video, there's like a documentary about that. Yep. No, I mean, it's it, it really, it really, it was that. And the fact that we are still at this point where people feel that they are allowed to just say whatever they want to whoever because they made a movie that they didn't like is absurd. I mean, yeah, they're just gatekeeping for it. I mean, it really, it's so it's so ridiculous because it, it at the end of the day, it's a movie, you know? Like, we're, we're having a whole podcast about it, so I don't want to, you know, go Rob Manfred and say it's just a piece of metal. No, but I mean, it's like, you can't like Star Wars because you like the prequels. That's stupid. Exactly. If and you you can like Star Wars if you like the exactly. prequels, if you like the sequels, I don't They're care what movies. you like, you're a Star Wars fan. They're movies. And the fact that some people take it to these extremes, in my opinion, is just absurd. I really, that's, that's the word I'm going to keep using because it is just that. Because what we saw with the sequel trilogy, what we saw with George Lucas' treatment during the prequels, I mean, it, it's absurd. And it's... It's not, it's just ridiculous that that is, you know, a thing that's going to keep happening. And we saw it with Zack Snyder earlier. We mentioned it a bit. I mean, after he made Batman vs. Superman, I mean, it was absurd the things that happened. I've used that word a lot lately. I need to find new words other than absurd. But anything else before we get on to the main event of the evening, Davis? Uh, George Lucas said the original trilogy was going to, the new trilogies are going to be about the wills or the beings that, like, control the force. Oh, yeah, that, so that thing is there's been a lot of rumored ways he was going to write it and that is one that i've heard as well actually that and also like this one there's also been like separate ones a lot, lot of potential ideas he workshopped a lot of ideas in his head for you a know long what? time he didn't write it he didn't write i don't think he's going to write another one yeah so. no i mean i mean again he why would he want to yeah even if it was good everybody's going to be it's not as good as the original exactly and that's like that's what drove him away in the first place but in another 20 years we're going to have a new trilogy i bet maybe I mean, 10 i don't know we'll see what happens we'll see what happens but anyway now, ladies and gentlemen, to the main event of the evening. Of course, you all know this already. Sean Connery, one of the greatest actors of any generation at this point, uh, tragically passed away at the age of 90 on Halloween this year, October 31st, 2020. Um, and we wanted to—I wanted to do an episode dedicated to some of his greatest roles because I don't know about you, Davis, but I grew up on a lot of movies that he was in, and I. Grew up on the Bond series, and I grew up on, you know, watching The Rock, actually. It's hard to believe that I grew up on that insane movie, but I've been watching the movie a long time. And, I mean, he's just, he really is just one of the greatest actors, I think, of the last 50 years. And I think I don't think anybody would disagree with that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he was actually untrained. He's a self-trained actor, which is pretty cool. You don't see that very often. That's true, you, and, you really don't. Especially one that gets to the heights that he really got to. Oh, he earned a lot of money because he was a really good actor. Yeah, I mean, he really, I mean, he... And he knocked out, I mean, every role, even when he was in bad movies, he was the best part of those bad movies. Even some of the more absurd ones that we watched a video on earlier of all of his oh, movies. Like I Zardone mean, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I can't. <laughs> yeah, he has like a, he has like a. The strange. A, a grenadier, grenadier, what are they called? Like, you know, like, oh, what are they called? Where Chewbacca wears one? Yeah, no, it's a Grenadier. Yeah. Is it a Grenadier? Yeah, that I think doesn't so. sound right. I thought it was. I thought it was that. But we're trying to describe the costume in that movie. You haven't seen it, but that is one of the more no, absurd. No, a, a grenadier is like a soldier that has grenades. I knew that wasn't right. Oh, my bad. Chewbacca sash thing. That is the type of Google search we like to we like to hear right there. I mean, that's really high quality. What are they called? There's a bandolier. Ah, there you go, bandolier. He has like bandoliers yeah. across both sides. He's wearing he, like he's like wearing a diaper, and he's wearing yeah, he's wearing a loincloth. Very interesting. He has he has like a long band, he has like a long braid. Yeah, it that movie is it just looks absurd. But we wanted to watch a couple of his movies over the past uh week, and I want to first I want to rank the movies, and then I want to rank his performance in those movies. What do you think, Davis? So I didn't watch them all. So, so we'll rank the ones that you've seen. I'll talk a bit about. So I'll, how about this? How about I start out with the two movies that I've seen that you haven't? And actually, it was only one, wasn't it? I saw a little bit of Goldfinger, but. It, 
But I mean, yeah, well, you, you've seen, you know, you know the James Bond yeah. there. So all right, so the first movie I want to talk about Bond. Yeah, James we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about Goldfinger because Sean Connery's start in his career was in fact being James Bond, and James Bond is one of the most famous characters in the history of the planet. I mean, it really there is no character that is you know more synonymous with spy movies. There's if you say the word Bond, most people will think James Bond without hesitation. That line first said in Connery's first Bond film, Doctor No, has become one of the most iconic lines in the history of film. I mean, I'd say it's top five most iconic lines in history. Would you agree? I mean, yeah, that uh, I'm your father. Yeah, I'm about to say. It. What's another one? We, uh, Davis, we're you're we're tearing me apart from the room. That no, and you lost. You, I I would I would. You're would've... tearing me apart. Le- there's a Lisa part at the end. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. That was good. That was a good one. Really? You're better at it than me. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I can't. Your... I can't do his voice. What's his name? <laughs> uh, Tommy Wiseau. I you cannot... just got to go like a monotone, but like a, it's weird. Anyway, well, he has um, like an he has like a vaguely Eastern, like a European accent. Yeah, I don't know. There. I don't weird. know. But uh, we want to talk about Goldfinger first because that is universally considered the best uh, Bond movie of Connery's era, and the best Bond movie I would say of the 20th century because. They didn't really uptick in quality until Daniel Craig came around, but Goldfinger's considered the, you know, the premier Bond film. Like, all Bond films have, you know, grown out of that movie in some regard. It was, you know, considered one of the most well-put-together movies. But a couple fun facts about Sean Connery's James Bond. Davis, did you know that, one, he was considered too muscular by producers? They thought he was too uh, muscular to the point where he wasn't, like, you know, fitting for the role. I know Ian Fleming did not want him to be Bond. He thought he was, like, too big and brolic. Ian Fleming being the uh, iconic writer of the Bond series and novels. And, yeah, I mean, I heard that as well. And I think that's kind of funny but he, because but he, he really on. was so good at it. It's like... It, very suave, very handsome. Indeed, really got indeed, it. Indeed. Of course, also, you mentioned you mentioned his looks. Apparently, he was bald, which I had no idea. Those He those he rocked those hair pieces. He was bald throughout... No, it's like, like he started with... Like, even in the first movie, he was already bald That's by that point. That's what I'm saying. Point. He rocked the hair pieces. Which piece. is... Cr- it's just crazy to me to think about that. Because, like... Because his hair piece was so good, you can't I, even tell. I remember watching Indiana Jones last year. I'm like, oh. He got bald after, you know, after James Bond. Cool. But then I'm like, oh, no. He was bald then, too. And he just looked... I mean, really. The makeup department... I mean, really. You just got... You got to applaud the guys. I mean, really. That is some of the best work. Because I, I, I didn't know. Even his his picture on IMDb is him with a wig on. Like, his picture is him in the Bond costume with the wig on because that was, like, what everybody associated him with. And that's just really incredible as well. And Goldfinger, I mean, I'm going to be honest, movie was kind of ridiculous. It was... That was all Bond movies back then, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I get it. I get it. It, But it's just... <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of, you know, like... After you watch the Daniel Craig ones, you go back and watch like those and the Roger Moore ones, and it's just fair. The Roger Moore ones were the most ridiculous ones because that's, of course, everybody. I mean, anybody who knows Bond movies remembers the one where it was. Uh, I think it was just titled Octopussy. I mean that. That is one of the uh, like hey, James Bond goes and, to space. And in one of them. And, yeah, and that one. I'm not even going off the title. That's just, it's just all weird movies, and they were absurd, and they became kind of caricatures. But Connery really mastered the. I think the blend of you know. Absurd, funny, you know, ridiculous action, but also being a good movie. And Goldfinger is the iconic one that everybody remembers. Everybody remembers the song. I mean, come on. How could you forget? I'm not going to try and sing it right here, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm not trying to hurt your ears. I wouldn't want to do that. Davis, don't you even think about singing it. Okay, just making sure. And I mean. Okay, I have a question real quick. Top 10. Who's the suavest actor of all time? George Clooney's up there. Sean Connery's up Connery there. Connery's Bond is easily in the top five. I mean, Carrie, you could probably throw like a Cary Grant in there. Maybe not. No, not De Niro. But I say De Niro. Didn't, no, I wouldn't say De Niro. Um, I don't know. Hey, he can be kind of suave. Same with Michael Caine back in the day. I don't not seen any Michael Caine back in the day movies. So I can't, Humphrey I Bogart can't. too. Humphrey Bogart and uh um. Uh oh. You know, I'm really just struggling with the names today. He is, he is. But Kurt Russell's kind of suave. That's fair, that's fair. Davis, I, I want I want to bring up one more point before uh, we move on from the Bond movies. Because, again, we have some other great movies from Connery. Bond is probably his most iconic because you know it's most famous. But I'm not sure if it's his best performance. I think we'll get into that a little bit later. But, Davis, I think it cannot be understated how important he was because Bond movies are still going on, right? Like, we're still having Daniel Craig... Do his uh, No Time to Die movie coming out in 2021. His last one. It maybe. is the last one. And maybe they'll, maybe they'll bring him back from 
just make him do one more. I mean, that's what they that's they did the last one. He said he hates it so much, but I mean, without Sean Connery, we don't have this franchise. Well, he's the first action hero. I mean, he that's what we talk about. I mean. Ladies and gentlemen, think back. There was not an action hero that was ever like Connery beforehand. I mean, you could say like the the, the Universal monsters from the '30s, but those weren't really like exactly. That they're not going on still. They keep trying. Exactly, and like you know, Chaplin was the first movie star. We, I mean, if you, you could if say you same with uh, Bert or Kirk, Kirk Douglas. You mean? No, 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 no. Just keep going. Buster Keaton. Buster okay, Keaton. yeah. I, I thought because I, I, I was trying to bridge the gap because after Chaplin, Kirk Douglas was the next, and then Connery took it the next level and becomes the first action hero. I mean, he, you know, now we see it everywhere. I mean, MCU actors are action heroes. You know, you see it with Indiana Jones. You saw it with, um, you see it with like guys like Jack Sparrow. Those are action heroes in multiple films. And Bond is the first. And without Connery, I really do not think it was going to get to that point. And I don't think Bond would be where it is today because, again, all the movies after Connery were a significant dip in quality, in my opinion. And I think the fact is the movies were ballooned by his initial success because you had seen those, you knew that the movies could reach that. And they had moments. They certainly had moments that, you know, were like Connery's. But up until Daniel Craig, we really hadn't seen that. And I'm going to be honest with you, Davis. I love Connery. He's an essential, but I got him as my second favorite Bond. He's my favorite Bond. Daniel Craig, to me, just... I, and those movies, I, like, grew up watching that version of Bond, really. Like, that was the one, you know, I grew up with. I watched all the others as a kid, but, like, this one, you know, I watched the next one, the next one, as I grew up with them. And I just really liked those movies. So maybe that's part of it, but I just... And, again, it's very... Cl- it's, like, 1A, 1B for me. But you got Connery, your number one? Yeah, Connery's... I, when I think of James Bond, I think of, like, the yeah. suave, every man. The bo- and, of course, you think of the scene where it says Bond. Yeah, I mean, James like, Bond. I feel like he just kind of, like... When I think of Bond, I think of Sean Connery. James, I mean, Daniel Craig's great. He's just more, like... Too too brawly for me. Fights brawly. Brawl. Like he brawls. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like yeah. I, when I think he, of James he is, Bond, he's, a, he's, he's a like more hands off, yeah. kind of like even even James Bond in the ones we were watching earlier, he's not really like that, but you get what I mean. That's I, fair. I think James, Sean Connery's more like the more suave kind of guy. That's fair. I, I would agree with that. I would agree, I guess. So yeah, one A, one B for me. But I think that's an, that's enough about uh James Bond series. So now I'm going to deal with one more movie that Davis has not had the privilege of watching yet, but I just want to talk about this for a second because it is part of Connery's sort of comeback to the action hero in the 90s. He kind of took a bit of, you know, he, he never stopped acting, but he wasn't really ever capturing that Bond action hero status as much as he did in the late 90s or in just the 90s overall. So this movie is called The Rock, directed by Michael Bay, and Connery plays a British agent who was arrested by the U.S. government and put in Alcatraz. So essentially, he's, he is supposed to be James Bond. Like he's, but he's not, not. And he's confirmed not to be, but like, I watched him, I'm like, wait a minute. Wait Does he ever say his name in the movie? No, yeah, his, his name is uh, like John Mason or whatever, but... What a lame name. But it could play into the theory that James Bond's just a code name. There we I, go, Davis. I prescribe there that we theory. Go. I honestly believe it, I believe it as well, because that, that also fits the idea that he has multiple actors, because it's just, you know, it's a character. Or it's it's a... Codename, as you said. But yeah, he plays that character who escaped Alcatraz. He's got to break back in with Nicolas Cage to stop Ed Harris and a bunch of rogue Marines who are uh, holding civilians hostage. It is an absurd movie. It is Michael Bay at his very best. And I say that because it's absurd, ridiculous, has a bunch of action shots and a bunch of explosions, lots of explosions. And I just want to read off a couple uh, trivia related to Connery. So and about this movie. So this movie has three uncredited screenwriters, including Quentin Tarantino, Jonathan Hensley, and Aaron Sorkin. What's Jonathan Hensley? What did he make? Uh, let me go look for a second. I actually didn't. You obviously know Aaron Sorkin from like the the, the Social Network. What else did he make? Um, he made. Uh, he wrote the he he wrote on the show The West Wing. He yes. also. Uh, why am I blanking on stuff that Aaron Sorkin has written? I've seen a lot of the stuff that he's done. I don't know how I'm blanking on this one. I'm sorry. Made Molly's Game, A Few Good Men. Obviously, the source number he made, Steve Jobs, the one in ah, right, made Moneyball. Yeah. No, okay, those are all. So, and I've got Hensley. He he is a frequent collaborator of the action movies, making Jumanji, the one with Robin Williams, or writing for it, writing Die Hard with a Vengeance, and Armageddon. Oh my goodness! Interesting. So he's more like a Michael Bay. Yes, he he very much fits the Michael Bay mold. But yeah, that I think is really a strange thing. And then of course, 
Sean Connery insisted on producers building a, a cabin on the island of Alcatraz because he didn't want to make the commute from the island to the shore. And, of course, they did. it was granted because he was, in fact, Sean Connery. Sean and Connery. my favorite piece of trivia from this movie, again, we will save the discussion for later because Davis has not seen the movie, so it'll just be me talking, so we don't want any of that. I mean, you can talk if you want. No, I, mean, I mean, but no, but I mean, it's we got three other movies that we could both go back and forth on that we both have seen. So, And then this... Ladies and gentlemen, there were tensions during the shooting between director Michael Bay and Walt Disney Studios executives who were supervising the production. And on the commentary track, Bay recalls a time when he was preparing to leave the set for a meeting with the executives and was approached by Connery in golfing attire. Connery, who also produced this movie, asked Bay where he was going. And when Bay explained that he had a meeting with the executives, Connery asked if he could accompany him. Bay complied, and when Bay arrived in the conference room, the executive's jaws dropped at the sight of Sean Connery behind him. According to Bay, Connery then stood up for him and insisted that he was doing a good job and should be left alone. The executives did not bother Bay for the rest of the shoot. Yo. So that is Sean Connery, who, like, we say he's one of the best actors ever. He, like, was really sort of mythical to the point where, like, he was such a big star that anything he was attached to after his career comeback in, like, the late 80s and early 90s was really sort of this, you know... Everybody knew him, and everybody knew who he was. He was one of the more recognizable actors on the planet. And um, I just think that was a really cool way to see his impact and on just the filming industry overall. But now, Davis, we in the movies we have seen. I'm going to let you take it away. Where do you want to start first? Want to start with the movie that launched his comeback? Sure. All right, so, Davis? That would be... The Untouchables. That's, I'm sorry. That, I don't, Davis, you good, man? I was reading something. I just really had a brain fart there. Oh, my goodness. Ladies the Untouchables being based on the real Untouchables, uh, who were a uh, crime-fighting group of prohibition officers, basically you could say. I mean, yeah, that's a good summary. Busted up Al Capone, many any other bootleggers that were trying to get illegal hooch into Chicago. You like that? I had some slang in there. There you go, Davis. There you go. Uh, there's only there. I mean, it has a few characters based off real life. It has Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner, a real, really. He's in the Cop Hall of Fame, or the Crime really? Fighting Hall of Fame, whatever you call it. Really? Yeah, cool. Who knew that they had a Hall of Fame for? I, I could not for say police that I knew that. or like I didn't private know. detectives are also allowed to be in there. Oh wow! It also has uh Sean Connery's character's name is Jim Malone. Yeah. Real, he has a real person named James F. Malone. He was a like another Prohibition cop. I'm not sure if he was part of the Untouchables because him and Elliot Ness never met in real life. Hmm. And then De Niro plays Al Capone. And I don't think Andy Garcia or uh, Charles Martin Smith, I think his name is, I don't think they're real people. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think they are either. But, yeah, I mean, that, and Davis, I had seen this movie a bunch of times. You saw it for the first time. What did you think? I thought Bring it was it pretty good. It for me. But it was a little cheesy at times. Like? I just, like, it had, like, cool moments and, like, cool fighting scenes. And then, like, Elliot Ness or Kevin Costner just say some cheesy line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Davis, you texted me and you said Connery's the best part, and we'll get into yes. that in a second. And you said Kevin Costner's just, you know, he's like kind of there. I feel like Kevin Costner, to me, never really in a movie stood out. In the movies that I've seen of him, you know? Like, there's never a movie to me where he's like, man, Kevin Costner's the best part of this movie, right? Like, even in this, like, Andy Garcia has some good moments in this movie. Uh, Andy Gennaro. Garcia, also known for Godfather 2 and Ocean's 11 and 12 that's and true, 13. Is he in 13? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen, seen 13. 13. Jinx. Alex got the hiccups over yes, there. He must have been eating too fast. Oh, my. That's not how that works. That is what? not how that works. You were telling me that earlier. I said burping, not hiccups. Oh. You said hiccups, Davis. Come on now. But um, I would say Cosmo just doesn't really stand out. There's nothing that's like, man. Great scene by Costner. It's like, you know. Okay. That was one of his that was the movie that made Costner big. Wow. Like, I mean, like, if you read about it, that is the movie. Like, he was already known, but like that's the movie that sent him into the stratosphere. There. After that, they got him for Field of Dreams, whatever it's like Bodyguard or whatever the movie name is. Like that's where Oh, the one with Whitney Houston. Yeah, I that's the one that set him to like the next stratosphere of big. I just think you really We would not have Papa Kent from Man of Steel without He is good in that. I'll say that. He's good in that, but I just think there's... He's just no, he's not. In Man of Steel? Because he walks into the freaking tornado. He doesn't walk. He uh, he can't leave. He can't just run... Well, he probably, yes, maybe, he could. Yeah, maybe he could have. 
He can go, hey, Superman, go get the dog. I don't need to die. Like, come on. He didn't want his son to reveal it. I don't care. They have a, okay. He could have gotten out. Okay. He just stood there, held up his hand. No. Okay. Regardless of the character, I thought Costner's performance was good. Okay. Still stupid. But I think he really is just, in a lot of movies, I'm going to say this, painfully average. Just like, you know, like he's not great, but he's not like, oh, this is terrible. He's just like, like he's just, he's just like a shrug of the shoulders. And I think he's in this movie. But Connery. Oh, we, David, we will have another Kevin Costner mention in a little bit. Ah, we will, yeah. Stay tuned for that. If, you, if that's why you're listening, you'll get excited this for it. This is now the Kevin Costner show. And uh, we mentioned this being Connery's comeback. So just a little breakdown. After Bond, the Bond films, he had some good films, but he really couldn't find his footing again in like the early 80s because, you know, he had done some good movies, but he'd also made some rather risky decisions that did not pay off in some poor films. So then he's, you know, his star status kind of fell away because it's like, oh, he's a good actor, but, you know, he's not Bond, right? And he's no longer Bond, so he, he came back and did the Bond movie in 83, which was a little odd, but he wasn't, you know, at that level. And then he does this movie, and it's his first ever Oscar, his first Golden Globe win as well. And this is really the comeback we saw for Connery where he really put in some amazing performances to finish out his career over the last 15 years because he retired in 2003 after this and that would have been 16 years after this movie. So I think, and you mentioned earlier, or you texted me about it. You said that you thought it was the best part of this movie. I, I agree. I mean, what do, you, what do you think about his performance? Yeah, he was he was really likable. He was really charming. He was funny. He had a lot of funny lines. That's true. That's true. I, I had it written down, but I forgot to bring the paper with Oh, me. my goodness. When he, when, he, like, when he originally joins the Untouchables, he's like, and like the, the officer that turned out to be bad, he's like, where are y'all going Halloween? He's like, oh, shut up and give me a drink or whatever. He walked off or something. Like, it was pretty funny. I can't. I can't remember what he says. I remember. The, I remember him calling and say, "What do you dress for Halloween?" Which I always thought that was weird because he's like wearing pretty standard stuff. But they're like, "Well, he's not in his cop clothes." I know. I guess. I guess I just thought it not, was, he used to be a beat officer. And they yeah, yeah. I know. I guess I just thought it was funny. It was like, like they, 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 they like would treat the clothes like it was like you know some superhero uniform. Like it's just not dressed like a cop. I don't know. I thought it was a little odd. But I mean, I also think that scene when he's crawling through the house after again, spoiler alerts, everybody. After he got um shot by uh, one of Capone's men and is crawling to the paper. I thought that was a really well oh, done scene. Yeah. That was that was some intense. I always hate that scene because I'm like, no, here he goes. Because I always know it's coming. There's a lot of great. I think like every scene he's in, he, he kills it. Yeah, like he, the I'm, scene where they're trying to interrogate the bookkeeper. Yep. And then he picks up the dead guy and <laughs> acts like he's going like <laughs> to interrogate him. One of my the other that one. is one of my favorite scenes. That was clever. That was smart. I was like, right when he walked over, I was like, oh, I bet he's about to act like he's going to kill this yeah. guy. Yeah. I mean, he really, and I thought the part when he is, uh, when he's, uh, like, uh, messing with uh, Andy Garcia's uh, character, whose name is George Stone in the film, and they're, like, just, like, throwing insults back to each other. I thought that was just. Well, yeah, because he was, like, he's, like, this guy's actually Italian, and then he, like, says a slur he's, to yeah, him or something. He, it, it got, I'm not going to repeat it because. I don't was, remember what he said, and then Andy Garcia's character is, like, yeah, you're a dirty whatever back to him and they're like i like you yeah and that, he I thought, put a gun to his neck yeah. too and like none of the co other cops were like hey this might be a problem this, this i thought that was about to kill i thought him. that was really funny i always liked that scene because like garcia and connery to me like had some really good chemistry in the movie and i think that's i think when you, when you have an ensemble who the untouchables are they are a group and i think when you have an ensemble you got to have characters that you know can mesh right you, i mean if the actors don't mesh the movie's not gonna land because it's you know it's it, like, if it's just, you know, a bunch of wooden acting, you're like, oh, this is, I don't believe that they're actually going to work together. And in this movie, I mean, they all work very well together, I think. And I think that's one of the things that makes it work. I'll also say this, Davis. Does it have the greatest name drop in the history of uh, movies for the title? Do you remember it? Mm -mm. Really, you don't. So, um, breaking down the scene, uh, after they do the first raid, of course, you know, they're all celebrating because it's the first one. It's very successful. And, you know, it, for a while, with the with the way Prohibition was going, Capone was in fact untouchable. Ironically, that's not what the name is for, but he was. You know, nobody messed with him. You knew what he was doing was illegal, but like you see in the movie, the reporters are joking with him. Nobody really cares except for Ness, which is what sets up that character and sets up the fact that he's one, you know it's them four against the city. But after the first raid, Capone sends a man to bribe them and say, "Come on, you know how our oh, business yeah, works." Oh yeah, you think you're untouchable, and he says, "You think you're untouchable," and that is. One of my favorite name drops ever because, in reality, they were fighting the Untouchable Man. But 
the idea was that, you know, everybody could be bought and they thought that they couldn't. And they didn't. And that's how they were able to do it. And that's how they do it in the movie. And it's just one of my favorite name drops ever. What do you think? I really can't think of any other really good ones. Like, so yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like a Dark Knight, like they do that, like the speech at the end. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I, I guess you could say whenever it says like the name of the title, it's like roll credits. That's it. Well, yeah, but like I, I like really how think this of that is, many you know, smoothly, yeah, smoothly yeah. thrown in the first time. You're like, oh, wait, that's what it means. Because like when I watched, I forgot that that's what they had called themselves. I was like, wait, is it because Al Capone's the untouchable guy? Because in reality, that's kind of how I. That, I think it's supposed to be kind of both ways. I, I suppose, because, uh, yeah, I, I suppose that is how that works. But I, in the end, the Untouchables were kind of very touchable because two well, other that, guys get killed. And that's one of my favorite scenes when the guy uh, kills me in the elevator and writes touchable on. That is based out. I was like, two hable? I was like, is he trying to say something in Spanish? I was so confused. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. He said touchable. I didn't see the C, I guess. Because yes, I remember he, I saw hable. I was like, what? He wrote it He wrote it right next to um, the body of one of the untouchable members. That makes it members. even better. But yeah, that's that, Charles Martin Smith's character. Ah, that's right. That's right. And that, that scene is very good to me. But again, I think uh, Connery's the best part of this movie. But you did say it was campy. But I love it. Even, even the ridiculous lines. I thought they were some of the most ridiculous but also most fun lines. Uh in the movie now davis it's on to the next one uh i think i think we should address uh the last crusade before we get to yeah uh, i was gonna say we go in order order. yeah Yeah, so obviously he does untouchables in seven and 87 yeah in 57 when he made that what 57 yeah he he was and then and then he goes and he makes uh the last crusade in 18 in 89 so this movie is a big departure from the standard Connery character, and it's also the last Indian Gen- or the last Indian Gens before Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They're gonna make another one. <sighs> Don't remind me, please. Look, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is not as bad as you're making it out to be. It is not good, but it is not okay. like I was saying. It is not the blight on movie making history like okay. everybody treats it to be. Okay, so just like you were saying, no, no, listen, just like you were saying over with the prequels, everyone was like, "This is this makes the Star Wars legacy terrible." That's kind of how you're treating. Like you, you'll admit the like the prequels are not that good, but they are not that bad. Okay, Davis. Here's 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 the here's the reason that there is a problem, and I disagree with you on this. And we'll talk about this a bit before we get into Connery's role in the Last Crusade. But with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it stands alone as a bad Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, yeah. There is sure. no other one. The other three the first are trilogy amazing. Is, yeah, the trilogy it's one is great. of the best action trilogies. Ever, I think. I think it could be top ten trilogies of all yeah, time. I'm not going to disagree with I don't, you. I don't think yeah, I agree. I, I, I. And, the, and the only reason Kingdom of the Crystal is getting this, like, it's actually entertaining is because it is Indiana Jones. It is connected to the original trilogy. Standalone, I don't think it really have any leg to stand I on. think the fact that it doesn't... St- I think the reason the prequels are semi-tolerable is because it's redeemed by the third movie. Somewhat. And not to mention Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones are paired. They're both bad. Yes. So it's easier to it's easier to deal but with they them have both good being moments. bad. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull to me is a bad movie by itself. It's also it's also an unnecessary movie, which yeah, is why I'm I not going to disagree with you. But I there is it is entertaining. It's one of those bad movies that is still entertaining. I haven't seen it in so long. I may have to give it a Last shot. Last time I watched it, I was actually I wasn't I was going to say thoroughly entertained. But I was not thoroughly entertained. It's still not a good movie. Like you can still see the whole thing, but you just sit down and just watch it. Like the first thing in Jones, like I'm all in. I love those adventure type of movies. I yep. love Swashbuckling. I love Uncharted the Games, probably my favorite game series. I can play those nonstop because, like, the history of it, the adventure of it, the Swashbuckling, the. I already and, said that. And Indiana Jones is all, is all yes. that smashed into one. In that is the best movie version of that. Yeah. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it got to the supernatural, which the first three did too. But it went kind of past that to Alien. Yeah, it, it, went, it went the extra mile, and I think in that part it hurt. It also it cast Shia LaBeouf, who wasn't. I think if they had gone, like, with another religious artifact instead of. The alien, it was actually not even like, crystal skulls aren't a real thing, they're hoaxes, if you didn't know. Well, I, I didn't know that people crystal thought Crystal skulls they're... are real, but it was like back in the 19, early 1900s, like when all those like British adventurers, not adventurers, like uh, explorers were going to like South America into the jungles, they found crystal skulls, but they actually just made them and they brought them back, they're like, they're worshiping this crystal skull, and there's nine other crystal skulls still there. And if we find them all, something will happen. Not true. Made them. I had no idea that it had that kind of background. To yeah, it. I, I mean, like it, crystal skulls are a real thing. You can look huh. them up. They, cool. they reported found them in a cave that were inhabited by original natives, but it's not true. Like a farmer made them. 
Huh. Like the Lost City of Z, you know that movie where it has Robert Pattinson. Yeah, yeah. That's like that. What is his name? That adventurer. I think he. Cortez. No, 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 no. Oh wait, no. no, no. You said 1900s. My bad. I, I was thinking no. way earlier. My, my mistake. I'm sorry. No, his, no. His name is. That, yeah, I goofed on that one. That's my bad. I, I was Percy thinking. Percy Fawcett. Percy Fawcett. Okay, and, yeah, yeah. That now that name sounds familiar. He he was one of the big ones. I I don't think he was actually the one to bring him back. So. But still, the fact of the matter is they're fake. If they, like, because we know they're fake, I guess that's not that big of a deal, really. But, like, Holy Grail, the Ark, and the, the what were they, what type of, they were just, like, stones for, like, a Hindu thing. Oh, the, Diving into all kinds of lore in this episode, aren't we? Yes, I love any Any of Jones is probably top five favorite trilogies for me, or just mm. favorite series. Nice. Back to the Future is probably in there, too. Nice. We have to do an Indiana Jones episode later. Later on in the year. I mean, it, it's a lot of material right there, I think. so. The, but the stones are called... i got to look it up real quick. You know, I can't find it. Davis, I think... I think the, I, San, the Sankara stones. I got it. All right. Davis has found it, ladies and gentlemen. But those are all, like... Those are interesting. Crystal Skull's boring. Yeah. Yeah. But it still bad. has some cool scenes. I, that's fair. Like, that's old Indiana Jones fighting and, that's like, fair. still having to, like, kind of maneuver with his old body. That's fair. That's fair. Cool. But... Let's get on to the ending of the original trilogy. That is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. This is, again, one of Connery's most unique performances, I would say. This is 1989. He plays Indiana Jones' father, Henry Jones. And, Davis, what did you think of this performance? Again, it's been a while since we've both seen this movie, but just, you know, based on what you can remember about this film and about Connery's performance. Oh, I love it. I mean, he's great in this movie. He's hilarious. This is probably his funniest role ever. It's probably one of the funnier roles ever include. Oh, actually, I'm not gonna say that. That's kind of a hot take. It's kind of recency bias that I'm thinking about this movie. Yeah, it's a funny role. Yeah, he's great in it. He's a great compliment to Indy's like, like very he doesn't serious. want a joke. He's yeah. very serious, but it, it's awesome. And he's like, he's clueless. He's a nerd that doesn't know how to do anything, basically. Which is the exact the adventuring things. That yeah, is. which is the exact opposite of Connery's roles in many movies, yeah. including Bond, because. I saw it, you saw that video, and it mentioned that Indiana Jones was based on Bond, which the idea was, again, Bond was the first action hero, and after that point, everybody's trying to find their thing. Oh, a teacher who's actually, you know, an adventurer who finds artifacts. That was, you know, that's one of the original molds, is out of that, out of Bond, you find that kind of action hero. And Connery, of course, showing up is cool, and I think... Him playing a character that's so opposite of Bond, I thought was very, very funny. Also, his second Golden Globe nomination came for this movie. Uh, rightfully so. He's he's great in it. There's so many great scenes. Like when you think of Connery, you either think of Bond or you think of I'd say Last Crusade. For me personally, for me, I don't just because I think the movies where he's more of the star. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but like he's so funny and he's like the most memorable thing from Last that's Crusade. That's true. That's true. And he has I, great moments with Harrison Ford with no prior experience with them. Indeed, a lot, and lot he of was chemistry never in the any of the movies. He was never even mentioned in the movie yeah. until the third one. Yeah, he's and mentioned it, in the fourth one as well. At George Luke or Steven Spielberg tried to get him to come back for the fourth one. Or was Steven Spielberg make the fourth one? Yeah, he did. He tried to get him to come back, but he's like, no. Yeah, he he retired. He, he retired for about six years at that point and decided he was done with acting. Which again, the amount of movies he did, it's fair. Yeah. I mean, he was in a lot of films, so I I get it really. I do, and I think I mean this again, just an, another great movie, another great performance about him. This this is gonna sound a little redundant to anybody listening to the show. We just say Connery did this and he's great. Connery did that and he's great. That's the point, and that's the reason we're doing an episode dedicated to this man because he really is one of the best actors of all time. Yeah, and he has like some other movies that like really underrated, like Murder on the Orient Express. We were watching. The, the, yeah, but I say the the original, instead not that. A Bridge Too Far. He's in that as well. He's a general in that one, I believe. He's in like a, the original Robin Hood. That's why he showed up in the the Prince of Thieves Prince one, of Thieves. which is the Kevin Costner there. <laughs> yeah, oh Kevin Costner. Uh -oh. And he's. I was watching this one. I actually really want to watch this movie now. The Man Who Would Be King. It's supposed to be it has a ninety nine or ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa. Has him and Michael Caine. Whoa. Where they're in like Big numbers. It's something. It looks really interesting. He's also in a lot of like a movie called The Hill that looks really cool with by Sidney Lumet. Or, yeah, something like that. He's in a lot of good movies that like really go under the radar. And I, and I think another important thing is as far as I've seen, and as far as I've heard as well from other people, he never really gave a bad performance. Like even in um a movie that the end of his career he does League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, a very poorly received film, sat into his career. But even that part, I'm like I watched that movie. He's the best part of that movie, arguably. And he really just, 
even in bad movies, he gave a good to great performance. He was so consistent for so long. And again, as you said, on no training whatsoever is kind of the craziest part to me. He used to be a, he used to be a bodybuilder. Ah, yeah, and then right. a model. And then he was like, you know, I'm going to try out acting instead of playing professional soccer, which he got signed to do. Or he got offered to yeah. play. And then after uh, football, I guess. after the last crusade, he was named uh, People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive at the age of 59 years old. So I, I'm not going to argue with that. He he still looks great, even though he was bald. <laughs> but still, I mean, he, he, I mean, he looks it. great. <laughs> I he mean, looks great in Hunt for Red October, which we're not getting into. We are? Oh, uh, good. That's, a, that's that. a good segue. Yeah, that, unless you have more go. to say about Last Crusade. No, I mean, again, I think we covered it. Really, is good. it the best Indiana Jones movie? I disagree, but that's for the podcast. I think it's. I think Raiders. Yeah. And then Crusade, and yeah. then Temple of Doom. I, I don't count Crystal Skull. <laughs> like in my ranking, I don't. I ignore it. <laughs> I agree. But uh, we, I don't like the movie that much, but it's not as bad as everybody says. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I just, I, I'm the defender of bad movies. There's, you started the transition, and now you're going back. You did had you it. expect me to stay on the transition? I, Alex? Oh my gosh, you had it. You had such a smooth segue, and now you're. But you know, sexiest man alive. He looks good in Red October with the wig. Red October. <laughs> you can't just do it again. Speaking of Kevin Costner, <laughs> he was originally going to play Jack Ryan in Hunt for Red October. <laughs> and also speaking of Kevin Costner, go back to the Untouchables real quick. The baseball bat scene. Actually happened. There's, you can't just keep. No, jumping. I just I, we we missed we skipped that. That Al Capone actually did that. One, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is uh is Al Capone um talking about teamwork. He also just repeats the word enthusiasms like five times, and he every time he says he's like enthusiasms, and it's like enthusiasm, and I'm like all right, and then he just hits a guy, and everybody freaks out. I love that scene, but yeah, I mean I believe it, but yeah. Um, anyway, you want to go through the segue again? No, 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 no. <laughs> the I, hunt, I can. The hunt for Red October. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the movie that, in my mind, really completed and cemented his comeback because he he doesn't touch bulls. Not Dragonheart. <laughs> Stop! You, you, have you seen that movie? No, I have. So I don't want to hear you talk about, about it. Though. That movie's absurd. But I don't want to hear you talk about it. Um. So this movie really cements Connery's comeback onto the main stage as a heavy hitting actor, and this is also the movie where the wig shows up. Again, in the mainstream with uh, the wig that you also see in The Rock. Same, same, same. He, look, he looks good in that wig. It, it, it looks good. Again, he's got props, the spiky props hair. Props to the apartment once again. Or the department once again for um the for that wig. But Hunt for Red October. I'm not gonna lie to you, ladies and gentlemen. I love a good submarine movie. The claustrophobia, the intensity, the stressfulness. It's all what I like in a good movie. And Hunt for Red October has that. You know, Alex, you seem very knowledgeable on submarines. For some odd reason. I've seen a lot of submarine movies. So do submarines have windows in the front? No. Interesting. They just use sonar? Yeah, sonar. So that's why... Um, why don't they have windows, though? Because. Interesting. Okay, no. Okay, but they have no. lights on the front, so, don't they? Okay, so in reality, because of the fact that submarines need to be able... Because since you are dealing with sonar, you're going to hit some things sometimes. And again, um, also, like... Torpedoes would explode near the ship, okay, and so the, the force would probably shatter the glass. So they don't have any glass, no windows. As, as far as I know, at that point, no. Hmm. And at that point in Front for October, and again, honestly, if you watch um, enough summer movies, you kind of figure it out because it is so explanatory, and there's so much thought that has to go into everything that they do. Like it really is very fascinating, which is why I really like this movie. It's not my favorite summer movie. But we can say that for another podcast, anyway. Hunt for October movie episode. Hunt for October. Uh, I almost said Kevin Costner. <laughs> he was almost in it. Maybe we need to do a shot. Maybe we do a Kevin Costner uh, oh. episode as well. Oh my goodness. Waterworld? No. <laughs> Have you seen that movie? Mm-mm. I heard. I heard it actually got butchered by the studio. I mean, it got butchered by. Kevin I heard Costner, like there's but... a cut that's actually pretty good. We'll never see it. Hopefully, it's but... actually. I mean, like you can watch it. I think. I don't know about that one, but it's just like Kingdom of Heaven, where or that Orlando Bloom movie that was absolutely terrible, and then they re-edited it, and it's actually amazing. I actually, I've seen that movie, the the re-edited version. That's a very good movie, but. Connery in this is a defecting Russian uh, subcommander during the Cold War, still during the Cold War, and he actually before had said, Gorbachev. He, yeah, he actually had said that he did not want to do the movie unless it was. He almost didn't do it because the facts giving him the summary did not mention that it was before Gorbachev. Because this is in 1990, the Cold War is over. He worried nobody would care because at the height of the Cold War, Cold War movies were very much a thing. Because, Red you know, Dawn, building off that sort of. Uh, you know, red scare paranoia and, you know, 
invasion paranoia movie people were fascinated by those films and as such nobody would really care if this movie was set after the cold war and the russians are still fighting the americans because that doesn't make any sense right because the cold war is done or you know and everything it's it's supposed to be back together again so that wouldn't have made sense so they said before that you know said it when the soviet union was still very much at its you know point where a general does have to defect and all and that's that's what the movie is, and that's part of the reason I think it works is because, you know, you can tell with Connor that he desperately wants to escape that place. And the story's based on at least two true stories. Would you like to hear them real quick? Go ahead. In 1975, a Soviet officer named Valery Sablin, he led a mutiny on a, a frigate. I'm not going to—actually, I'm going to try. Stora, Storaz Hevoy. A good effort. But he, he he led a mutiny not because he wanted to become come to America to experience democracy like uh Ramus's character did. I think Ramius. that's kind of Ramius. Yeah. I think that's that's why he came over. Well right? no, he, okay, so uh he said um he, there's this one scene, this great, great scene with Sam Neill. What you remember when they're sitting in the cabin just talking? Honestly, I think that's the best part when of the like movie. When from, it starts shifting. Yep. Best part of the movie from Connery and Neil both. I think that was the best acted scene in the film. And Connery says, um, I killed her the day I married her or whatever with his wife because his wife had died a year before he defected. So I think it was something to do with um, the Soviet Union and maybe something that happened. It's kind of hinted at. But he really just, you know, a lot of people were done. As the Soviet Union winded down, a lot of people were done with it within Russia. People were very tired of the things that were going on. And it was leading to a lot of situations like this, which is why it started to fall apart. But... Go on. So this Soblin guy, he defected not because he wanted to go to democracy, but because Uh-oh. the Soviet Union was not socialist enough for him. Which is very interesting. Innovation that excites right there. I yeah. mean, you, you wouldn't expect that. But the Kremlin, that being like the, the government of yeah. Russia, or the Soviet the, the Union. The White House right? of the Soviet yeah. Union, essentially. They sent 13 ships and three aircraft. They caught them and executed them. So yep. there's that. There's another guy named Jonas Pleskis, I guess. Good effort once he again. He did have a submarine. I don't speak Russian, and I can't really pronounce it. It's all good. It's sorry. all good. I'm sorry. It's all he defected good. to Sweden, and he met with some CIA people, and he got taken to – he lived in asylum in the United States for the rest of his days. Wow. Yeah. True story. And, of course, also this is uh, based on a book written by the great Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy, one of the greater uh, war movie, war book writers of our time, really, most – Famous, a lot of people know him for the Ghost Recon video game series, as well as, again, the Jack Splinter Ryan series. Cell. Yeah, and and that too. Um, did they make a Splinter Cell movie? I don't know. Maybe I can't. I can't say that they did or not. I want to say I want to lean towards no. But yeah, this movie done by Clancy, and again, this is the movie that really cemented. They Connery should. Back. They should have George Clooney as the guy in. Really, that'd be cool. I've never played it, but I I I've played one of them. Mm. I you think it'd be first, good, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. But Davis, what did you think of Connor's performance in this movie? Did you think it was the best one of the movie? Uh, Sam Neill's really good in it. Alec Baldwin's surprisingly good. I wouldn't say he's better than Connery. Connery's pretty good, but his Irish accent kind of throws it off a little bit. That's true. And but I get if he shouldn't try a Russian accent and kind of mess it up. But Sam the, Neill's trying. He's doing pretty good. He's Sam Neill's done. always been great at um, And he also just had, I'm going to be honest, Sam Neill, when he's not playing Dr. Alan Grant, has a relatively sinister sounding voice when he goes for it. Like in Daybreakers, man is scary. But in this movie, he does it again. It's a, it's a, a great performance by him. But, I mean, what did you think of the movie? Because I had seen it once before, but you had never I've seen it. I've seen it once before, oh, too. Yeah. Like a long time ago. Right. I mean, it was good. I liked it. It's a little confusing in some parts. I, I will admit the whole time I wasn't zoned in the whole time. I had some other work I had to do. My goodness, Davis. I, I watched it. I understand the plot. But there was, I texted you a few times because I was a little confused. And there's a lot of jargon in it as well. Oh, like sub-jargon? Yeah. Like, I'm obviously not a sub-expert like you over yeah, here. Yeah, I mean, all you got to do is watch U571 and you'll figure out a lot of the stuff. But yeah, I mean, Sean Connery's great in it. He plays a very, like... Kind of like menacing, but also sympathetic character in it. Really like him. I feel bad for him, but also he's mysterious. I agree. And he does good Russian. He had one day to rehearse, but because he had to replace uh, the actor Klaus Mar- uh, Maria Bondel, however you say it, he's like New Zealand or Australian. He had prior engagements, and they're like, Sean Connery coming. He's like, I need a day. 
But I can't I can't do his accent. It's so hard. <laughs> Such a hard Alec Baldwin accent. did it perfectly in the movie. He did. <laughs> I mean, what do you say? I can't. It was, they don't um, take kindly to criticism. Oh no no no! It was uh, it was the fact that uh, the bullets will like hit their stuff that'll be prone to damage if he shoots it because it was in the reactor area. So he was like, uh, oh my god, I can't remember it, but it was like, oh, no. Our memories are kind of failing us today. They are. They are. I'm not gonna lie, but yeah, I mean Connery, again, he can do that because he's one of the most consistent actors of our generation and of any generation. So really. A, um, he really showed it off in Dragonheart. You didn't see the movie. <laughs> I think it's it's, ev- it's self-evident. You did not see the movie. He's better than Frank Welker. Did you really just say that? Well, I'm obviously kidding because I've never seen the movie. Yeah, okay, but... Hey, best Sean Connery movie. My favorite is The Rock. Okay. The best is The Untouchables to me. Best performance from is The Untouchables, but The Rock is just so much fun. And there's a lot of lines... But ladies and gentlemen, I will not be saying on the air today because you got to come to the the the, the R-rated. No, nah, I mean just Google. Lens. I'll tell you Google that. Lens. Just go ahead, go ahead and search them. Be warned. Do not search them with uh, children under the age of six nearby. But there's a lot. Or of do a, we don't care? Oh, <laughs> but there's a lot of or hilarious don't lines, pirate. including a specific one he says to Nicolas Cage's character Stanley Goodsby about losing. Davis, I'll show you the quote when we uh, head out of here. But that movie's my favorite. How about you? My favorite is probably Last Crusade. Yeah. Best probably Untouchables. Hunt for Red October is good though. I, I'd put it up there. I mean, again, it's it, it's very it's a very good movie, and it's a, I mean, first of all, it's a great cast and, movie. Wait, so many spoiler, people. spoiler. They found Red October. They did. Which, by the way, I always thought it was funny. I'm watching the movie. I'm like, man, we're the USS Dallas, and the Soviet Union was out here naming subs after months where they led a revolution. Like, where can we? Get, That's like, cool. The, like, why can't we get the USS July? Like, come on now. I feel like we probably have that. Probably. But, I don't know. But like, does USS Dallas like, bro? I feel like there's probably like a U or uh, USSR Petersburg or whatever back in the day. P- Petersburg, Saint Petersburg, isn't that in Russia or is that somewhere else? That's it. That is in Russia. Why would we? Why would it be the USS? I don't know. USSR Saint Petersburg. Oh, I don't okay. know what they're like. Ours is United States service. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or United States ship, whatever you want to call it. Okay, like, okay. I, you only said USS, and I was like, I uh, might have, I might have not said the R loud enough. I was like, that's uh oh. But yeah, I was like, come on now, y'all. The USS Dallas is chasing the Red Lame. October. One was cool. One, I don't know about that one. But still. Any other final thoughts before we take we take out this episode? And uh, Rest in peace to the great Sean Connery. Indeed. And our thoughts and prayers go out to his family. Of course, very difficult time. But just want to do an episode dedicated to one of the greatest actors we've had the privilege of growing up watching. And thank Who you did for not care amazing- about the accent that he did. Kept his Scottish accent. I was about to say he stuck with it, and I thought it worked out great. Because what did you say? There was a video, and this is one more uh, testament to his great acting ability. He talked about how the how the the how the character sounds not important as long as the viewers can see how he feels through his acting, and he he really doesn't. You can see emotions no matter the accent. So again, shout out to Sean Connery, one of the greatest actors of all time. Rest in peace. And again, thank you for joining us on another episode of Through Lens, the All Things Movie Podcast, on brought to you by WGL. We'll see you next week.